And if you're new today, we've been, over the last three weeks, been looking at some of the tensions that there are around the Christian life. Some of the fact that actually things aren't always as simple as clear black and whites, that we have to live with tension. Sometimes we have to hold things in tension. We have to work out, is this a problem to solve or a tension to manage? In so many areas of life. And we, we also be thinking about our theology, that we have a both-and theology. Theology isn't simple. Is God one or is God three? Is Jesus fully man or fully God? So often the answer is both-and. And today we're thinking about a big both-and, about the nature of God's kingdom. The now and not yet of the kingdom of God. And one of the reasons we, we want to share this series at the start of September is a bit of a reset for us. But understanding how, what it's like for us to be church. And you as a church are and now and not yet community. As I look around at you today with your smiling and mainly clean faces, you think, oh, yeah, great. And it's, it's great to see in this room today a picture of the kingdom of God. For a start, there's diversity, ethnic diversity, social diversity, age diversity. And, and the picture we have of the kingdom of God is people of, of different tribes and tongues and nations being united around the person of Jesus Christ. And when we look at the early church, we see an incredible picture of the kingdom. In, in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church on the day of Pentecost, and they start to live their life in, in the light of Pentecost, it looks as if when you look at the church, it looks like, gosh, it's wonderful. Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers, and all came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions, belongings, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added their number day by day, those who were being saved. Gosh, that looks like the kingdom, doesn't it? It's only a few verses later that we have all kinds of trouble. Ananias, how come you lied to the Holy Spirit, Peter says. The Greek widows, the Hellenistic widows, falling out about who's going to get their share of the food. And the early church experienced brokenness as well as blessing. It was a both-and community. And it's very frustrating being part of church, isn't it? Because you get glimpses. This is what it ought to be like. And then you also get the disillusion and disappointment when church lets you down, when people let you down. But we're actually living with the tension of seeking to be the people of God, accommodating and asking for mercy in our failures, but pushing into trying to be as much like the kingdom of heaven as we can be. And that's our call, our challenge. That's one, one, of, the, one of the backdrops this. How can we, as a not yet community, be as much like the... You know, can we bring some of the, 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 the reality of heaven into the now? Can the future become present among us today can that picture of the church at the end of the age which we read about in the book of revelation you know people from every tribe tongue and nation no more pain no more sickness no more death the lamb uh, there that they no longer need a temple because god's with his people can we see as much of that on earth as it is in heaven that's our call and when we think about that being now not yet church it's about how much is the kingdom of god among us When Jesus came on earth, he spoke about the kingdom. He taught about the kingdom. And he came as the king. Uh, we'll talk a bit later on this one about John the Baptist, who's pointed the way to Jesus as the Messiah, the king. Someone who's going to bring the rule of God on earth. And so wherever Jesus was, kingdom things happened. 
But in many ways, they were confined to the physical place where Jesus himself was. And, and Jesus goes into a village, everyone gets healed. Jesus, you know, um, is with a crowd and he breaks bread and blesses it and 5,000 people get healed. Gosh, that looks like the kingdom. But Jesus, in his earthly ministry, was going to hand on the rest of it to his church and was going to leave. And one day he was going to come back. And Jesus lived with the knowledge that it was a now and not yet kingdom that he'd brought into the world. When Jesus died on the cross, he broke a power of evil, of condemnation over people like us. When he rose from the dead, it was a seal on, on the defeat of those powers that are too strong for us. When he poured out his spirit on his church, it was a sense of the kingdom coming. And yet Jesus is also waiting for a fulfillment of the time. So when Jesus gave communion on that first uh, kind of Passover meal, um, not the first Passover meal, but the, just before he went to the cross, he said, I'll not drink it, I'll not drink of the fruit of the vine until I drink it new with you in the kingdom of God. And in that act, Jesus was appointed to a, a not yet reality that was one day to come. One day, what we've, what's begun will be finished and consummated. And right now, you're living in the tension. And the way we understand this really is that the world is enemy-occupied territory. Jesus talked about the prince of this world who has control over so much of the mechanisms of, of the world. And, um, and, and sometimes we, we call that, that person Satan. We, we see a world where there are human forces, where, where people have wills and um, ambitions and greeds and needs and desires that are not always in accordance with God's will. And so there's, there's a kind of funny old mixture of this, this planet Earth. And into that place, the cross is a bridgehead for the kingdom of heaven. The day of Pentecost, the pouring out of the Spirit, is a bridgehead for the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom is breaking in among us. It's like the D-Day landings in World War II. But there's still a battle to be fought. And again, the Bible sees a picture of, a, of us at the moment living in a war zone, living in a conflict where God's will is being done, but we're still asking for God's will to be more fully done, where we're seeing some victory, but we're also living with struggles and battles. And so um, that affects so much of how we do life. It affects how we pray and how we act. And I think that this, this business about presence and absence is really key. You know, the whole of the, the Bible lives with some tensions. It lives with the tension between being exiles and being in the promised land. And in a way, our journey of life is slightly, we haven't quite got the promised land fully yet. We still feel a bit of a sense of exile. And yet, we're in a land of promise because God's, God's here. Uh, and so much of that is to do with, are we with the king? Is the king with us? Now, in Jesus' own public ministry, there were times when the power of God was so present with him that it was documented by the gospel writers in Luke 5. The power of the Lord was present with him to heal the sick. He goes to a village and everybody's healed. And in the times of the early church, you could see that too. There were times when the, 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 the place where people were, there was such a sense of the Holy Spirit that the whole building was shaken. And, or Peter, he's ministering, and people are bringing out the sick from the street so that his very shadow will fall upon them. And it describes extraordinary seasons of the Spirit. But there are also more challenging times and difficulties. Is God with us or not with us? And in what way is God with us? 
And I think that John chapter 11 is a really instructive chapter of the Bible, which I'll just dwell on for a moment. Now, if you can remember John chapter 11, it's the story of Jesus hearing that his friend Lazarus is sick. And when he hears that his friend Lazarus, who he loves, is sick, he stays away from going to be with Lazarus. And then Lazarus dies. And then Jesus shows up at the graveside. And Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, say, if you'd been here, our brother would not have died. And Jesus doesn't contradict them. In fact, of course, that's why he stayed away. See, the plan of God, the plan of Jesus was to demonstrate an extraordinary miracle, to stay away in order to allow Lazarus to die so that he could raise him from the dead. But the implication for me is that if Jesus had gone to Lazarus' house straight away, Lazarus would not have died, as his sister said. Because where Jesus is, the presence of God is, and good stuff can't help happening. You know, where Jesus is, light breaks out, light shines. You know, you can't have darkness when the light is there. Um, now, Jesus, I mean, Jesus weeps at the grave of Lazarus, knowing that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. It's extraordinary. And I think it's a picture to us of the way in which absence and presence make a difference around kingdom rule. Where the king is, stuff happens. Where the, where the king is not, other bad stuff happens. And we want as much of King Jesus in our lives as possible. We want to welcome the presence of the king. And so that's our call. But even when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, we're not alienated from the love of God. Jesus weeps with those who weep, even though he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But the presence of the king and the presence of the spirit are very intertwined. I see in scripture the Holy Spirit always at work, always seeing the Father's will being done always being the executive of the Father's will. So in the Bible, at the beginning of creation, you see the Spirit of God brooding over the waters. And God the Father who creates, his Spirit is working in that creation experience. When we see the people of Israel, the people of God in the Old Testament, what we see is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit coming upon leaders, on prophets and kings to anoint them to do God's will in that people. And when Jesus comes onto the scene of planet Earth, we see him also being anointed by the Spirit. He says, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. When Jesus is baptized, we see the Spirit of God coming upon him like a dove. And we see the same Spirit that's at work in the Old Testament, making God's will done, is happening through Jesus. And Jesus himself, in his humanity, says, I only do what I see the Father doing. And he says, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The Spirit is getting the will of God done. And for us as charismatics, as people who believe in the work of the Spirit, we're people who today in our lives see the Holy Spirit working through us so that kingdom things happen. So I have my own back catalogue of miracle stories. I have my own um, recollections of praying with people who were sick and seeing them healed, and, and some of that being very demonstrably instant and supernatural. I also have my own track record of people I've prayed for not getting well, not getting healed, or dying. And that is the tension that I live with, and I want to reflect a little bit more of that as we go along. 
But what I do know is when the miraculous things happen, it's not because of me, it's because of the Spirit of God. And part of what we want to be as a, as a church community is a, is a church community that welcomes and learns to understand, to partner with, to be led by the Holy Spirit, to learn to walk in the Spirit. And I think, honestly, our walk in the Spirit fluctuates. There's times when we are walking more closely with Him and times when, when we're less so. There's times when we sense the Spirit of God is strongly with us and times less so. Over church history, we call those times where the Spirit is strongly present as revival times, where they're extraordinary times. And we want to have as much of the extraordinary as possible for it to become normal. But the reality is, that is not our everyday existence. And Paul also reiterates that. So in Romans chapter 8, there's a really significant chapter where Paul is talking about the church and the people of God who have the Spirit. And he says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Feel the tension, by the way, as I read this passage. Look at those tensions there. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for impatience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what's in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And I think what Paul is, is describing is, gosh, this is a veil of tears. The new creation, the new heaven and the earth hasn't fully happened. We're tasting it. We've got the first fruits of the Spirit. It feels like the baby's coming, but right now we're in the childbirth, which is not a, a comfortable place to be, I'm told. <laughs> you know? There is going to be a day when it's going to be fulfilled, but that's not yet. But it's coming, and the Spirit himself is longing, groaning, pointing to, to that day. We're living with the tension of the now and not yet. So this has big prayer and pastoral implications for us. How are we going to pray? And what are, we, what are we entitled to expect for God to do in our lives? And the early church had to live with these tensions. They, they, they experienced miracles. You know, in, in Acts chapter 4, the, the apostles are arrested. And an angel lets them out in the middle of the night and they're set free. They start preaching again. Now, the second time they're arrested, James has his head cut off. But Peter is again miraculously released by an angel. How did the church make sense of that? Why James dying and Peter getting saved? They don't know the answer, but what they do know is that they pray. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 18 about the tensions that we live in. When we're calling to God for justice, but we're living with things not good. And he says, always pray and never give up. And I think that is our clear call, always pray and never give up. We pray not because we have guarantees of answers, 
but because of our faith in the character of the person we pray for. In the parable in Luke, Jesus says, even an unjust judge will grant justice if he's worn out with someone nagging him, but how much more will the just judge with the righteous king give justice to his chosen one speedily? Yet when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will, will the Son of Man find people who have faith in God who will be calling out to him, who will be praying? And our job is to pray and never give up. We want to invite you to pray. Come and join us on Tuesday morning. We'll be here at quarter past seven in that foyer praying for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, on this bit of earth that's Bristol, on this bit of earth that is this community that meets here. Can your kingdom come more fully among us? And we need that because right now we have people in our midst who are very sick. We have people in our midst who are carrying significant mental health problems and, and oppression. We have, we've got people in our midst who are impoverished and feeling that, that life is dealing hard things and they, they need breakthrough in their lives. We want to pray for as much of God's blessing as we can. And what's more, we're going to pray at the end of my sermon. We're going to pray today because if, if it's true, first of all, are we a community of the kingdom with a king? Because a king has a community, a king has a people. Are we those people? And is Jesus our king? And when we gather in his name, is he here by his spirit? And if he's here, can kingdom of God things happen today? If those things are true, then why should we leave this place without getting some prayer for things where we need breakthrough? But breakthrough and blessing are two parts of the same coin. And as I finish and come into land, I'm just going to point you to uh, Matthew chapter 11, which is Jesus' commentary on the kingdom around the life of John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist came proclaiming the kingdom of God. His role was to point the way to Jesus, the Messiah, to encourage people to turn and, and to repent and to be, get ready for the king to come. In, in many ways, he's a prophet of the not yet of the kingdom. And uh, he finds himself falling out with, a, with, a, with an unrighteous king, with King Herod, and getting put in prison. And he sends messages to Jesus, who he's been proclaiming. He says, are you really the Messiah? Because it's not working out for me. I said the kingdom was coming. I find myself in prison. What's going on? And Jesus tells him, points, points to him to kingdom activity. He talks about the rule of God happening. He says, you know, the, 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 the lame are walking, the blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing. Blessed is the one who doesn't fall away before we. Jesus points to signs of the kingdom and says to John, in your not yet experience, actually the kingdom of God is still at work. You're in that place, but in this place, stuff is happening. And that's the tension, isn't it? And this is what Jesus says about John the Baptist. He says, um, what did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of woman, there is risen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he's Elijah who's to come. He who has ears, let him hear. But what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplace calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking. They say he has a demon. 
The Son of Man came, eat, eat, drink, they say, look at him, a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Why is John, who's the greatest born of women, least in the kingdom of heaven? Or, or, or rather, the, the one who's least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The reason is because John is a prophet of the not yet. The kingdom comes with Jesus, with his death, with his resurrection, pouring out the spirit. We live in the kingdom age, the new age of the spirit. John hasn't the opportunity to fully enter into that. He's like Moses looking at the promised land from a distance. Great, like Moses, but not part of that new thing that God was doing. So he's, you know, the least of the kingdom of heaven has a different dispensation to John. Because John, as a prophet of the not yet, comes fasting and praying. He's an ascetic. He's the fasting prophet, the prophet of the not yet. When you're waiting, longing, groaning, mourning, waiting for your deliverance, it's appropriate to fast. But when Jesus comes, he comes as the feasting prophet. And where Jesus is, it's appropriate to party because where Jesus is, the kingdom of heaven is breaking out and good things are happening and 5,000 people get fed out of five loaves and two fishes and the whole village is healed of their diseases and blind people are seeing and dead people are walking and a widow gets her son raised to life. And the kingdom is here and it's so appropriate to party. And, and Jesus is saying it's appropriate to mourn when the kingdom's not there, but when the kingdom is here, it's appropriate to celebrate. How can the friends of the bridegroom fast? He says, when the bridegroom is here. They can't, it's not appropriate, it's appropriate to celebrate. Now that is the tension that we're living in. The book of James reiterates it in his letter. He says, is anyone in trouble? Let them pray. Because when we don't see kingdoms happen, things happening, we want to pray that they do. We want to call out to the Lord, Lord, let your kingdom come. But when they are happening, we sing songs of praise as they do in the book of John because we're celebrating the king has come. The king is here. The righteous king. We've got a righteous king. That's good news. That's good news for the poor. We celebrate. And we're living in that tension. So here at Woodies, we need to be a people who are not bland. We want to be serious and earnest and in pain about the problems and injustices of the world. We want to be active in seeking more of God's kingdom through prayer, but also through action. You know, we've got a couple of people from Iran here who are persecuted Christians today. One of them was telling me this morning, he's, he was shot in Iran. And they're here. And, and we want to create a welcome for people from all over the world to come to our city, like our brothers who, who, who've been victims of the violence that comes against the kingdom. And we want to be praying for people in our midst who are sick. But we also want to celebrate the Spirit of God is here. And we're going to sing songs of praise and we're going to be happier than we yet are. You know, we, we, don't, we don't celebrate enough. We're not happy and clappy enough, you know, are we? Not if King Jesus is here. Okay, so I'm going to pray and then we're going to go back into just a few minutes of worship. But what I want to do is to say, if you have a need for King Jesus to bring his kingdom into your life, whatever that looks like, why not come and get some prayer from us at the front? I know it's a bit awkward and embarrassing leaving your seat, but if the king is here, and if you don't think he is, well, stay where you are. You know, but if, if you think that maybe in prayer today, there's a blessing for me. Come and get some prayer and we'd love to pray with you. Father God, we, we want to say, will you make us more of your kingdom people? Will your kingdom come among us as it is in heaven? Will you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Will you equip us to follow Jesus uh, with our whole lives? Will you be our good Lord? Will you help us to be your friends? And Lord God, today, will you pour out your spirit? Will you perform signs and wonders in our midst? Lord God, where, where people need healing, will you bring breakthrough?
Will you give the gifts that we need? Will you give us faith and courage and discernment and wisdom? In Jesus' name, amen.